You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Into the Doctor's Lounge, I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz, and every week we bring you the best in healthcare news, medical talk radio, chat radio. We bring you into the place where doctors talk about topics that uh, affect you and your family, and we give you the inside information that you'll need so that you can advocate for yourself when it comes to your health care needs. The uh, Docs for Patient Care Foundation sponsors the, uh, the this radio show, The Doctor's Lounge. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is a non-for-profit um, uh, healthcare think tank. We're the only healthcare think tank in the country that is uh, run by doctors in active medical practice, so that makes us very unique. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is dedicated to two main goals. One is preserving the doctor-patient relationship, and the second is trying to fight for things that will help to preserve health care freedom for Americans. And so please support the work that Docs for Patient Care Foundation does. Go to our website, d4pcfoundation.org. Read about the things that uh, are on the website. We talk about those things regularly on this show. Contribute to our um, our uh, organization. Become a ongoing contributing member and be a part of what we are trying to do and create um, by uh, uh, giving giving us the means that we need so that we can be here every week uh, presenting this information to you and uh, doing the things that we're doing around the country to fight for for our core issues. And uh, those issues are, are, I'll talk about those later on today, some of the things that we're going to be doing uh, in the uh, next few months, which are all very exciting. One thing that I wanted to do before we get started is to wish everybody out there uh, a happy Passover, a happy Holy Week. This is a very important week uh, for those people who uh, are uh, not atheists, um, and uh, and so I hope that this is a very um, spiritual, very meaningful week for uh, uh, a good number of our listeners out there. One thing that I also wanted to uh, share with you today was some information that our producer, David Moxley, shared with me, which I think is very, very cool. Um, when you uh, go to uh, Google, if that's your search engine, and you type in medical web radio shows, the Doctor's Lounge comes up on the first page of Google, and we're number five down on that list. And uh, that is a huge accomplishment, and uh, we owe it to you, the listeners, for uh, allowing that to happen. Uh, we could not be where we are without you. So uh, thank you, those of you who listen live. Thank you for those who download this podcast and who share it with their friends. Please uh, share that information. Um, with your friends and, and your social media contacts. I think that this is uh, uh, an important show. I, uh, I do this show every other week with my co-host, Dr. Michael Karuchik, and we dedicate a lot of time to this uh, because we think that it's important 
for the public to hear about the things that we know about that um, generally most people don't. In fact, what's really interesting is that most doctors don't even know the things that we talk about on this show, which really uh, annoys me to no end, but nonetheless is is reality. So, so tell everybody about about our show and and share with them the information that I just uh, shared with you. And and let's let's make um, the doctors lounge number one on the uh, on the Google uh, search engine when you go to medical web radio shows. Um, you know, there's never a shortage of topics to cover on this show, and the trick is to keep the subjects fresh, relevant, entertaining. There's so many stories these days that it's dis- it's very difficult to decide what to discuss and how to present it without getting too technical. Every day there's stuff now in the news about health care. You can't put on the TV or pick up a newspaper without reading something about health care. Just this morning I was uh, having my coffee and there was um, uh, one of the news shows this morning talking about two of the subjects that I'm going to talk to you about this morning. So it's this is a very timely uh, um, uh, show today. Uh, healthcare is is front and center, whether we like it or not. And what I'm going to try to do today is tie some things together. You know, I was listening to one of the topics, which was the latest strategy in trying to get ri- get the compromise uh, in place for the passage of Obamacare repeal, which is um, Donald Trump holding hostage the payments to insurance companies, and in these in these one minute sound bites. And I know that there's a slant on the on the mainstream news towards. Um, propping up Obamacare and against any attempt to try to to uh, get rid of it, but the the one minute sound bites are just so inadequate in in uh, getting the issue explained to people. It's no wonder that people are ignorant about this subject and other subjects involving healthcare because they just don't get what they need from mass media and quite honestly most of them are very lazy and won't um, go dig deeper and find out what what's really going on so what I'm going to do today is a little bit interesting I wanted to break up the show into two parts at the top of the show in the first couple of segments I'm going to discuss the new prostate cancer screening guidelines um, they've just been modified by the government And then we're going to go on to the opioid crisis, which is on TV and in and on radio and in newspapers daily feature stories about the opioid crisis. But then what I'm going to try to do in my warped brain, I'm going to try to tie these stories together. How can I tie PSA testing for prostate cancer and the opioid crisis together. So if you don't think that I can do it or you can't figure it out, stay with us and you'll and and you'll hear how I'm going to do it. In the second half of the show, I'm going to try to keep everyone current on the latest information out of Washington regarding health care reform. No, it's not dead. People want 
you to believe that it's dead, but it's not. There's a lot of behind-the-scenes wrangling, a lot of back-channeling going on to try to keep this alive. And I'll try to decipher some of the stuff you're hearing and explain things that you're not. And uh, and if you want to hear about these updates, again, stay with us. That's coming in the second half of the show. So I don't know if anybody remembers back in 2012, there was a big uh, brouhaha regarding the um, prostate cancer screening. There were... Um, in between 2010 and 2012, this was often in the news. Prostate cancer screening, breast cancer screening. There was a, uh, a an agency that was before Obamacare, an advisory agency. It was called the United States Preventative Services Task Force. It is comprised of 21 people. And these people are epidemiologists, they're public health specialists, they are a, a group of people who are, are charged with examining studies in the literature, evidence-based, and that's another subject that perhaps one day we'll give, we'll dedicate a show to, this whole, this whole canard, this, this ruse about evidence-based medicine, which I quite honestly find absolutely dis- disingenuous and and uh, it's, it's created a whole cottage industry. But I digress. So there is um, there's this group, the USPSTF, which was an advisory board that were coming up with recommendations about what should and should not be part of public health programs and um, and what programs they would recommend should receive federal funding or should get um, support and what should it and they came up with you know they, they covered a lot of a lot of ground they covered um, vaccinations they covered um, uh, mental health they covered uh, cancer screenings the thing that was creating the biggest uproar was the breast cancer screening recommendations and the prostate cancer screening recommendations. Now, the breast cancer screening, I'm not going to go into today, but suffice it to say that they came out with these recommendations that were different than the recommendations from the groups that that focused on breast cancer. Susan G. Komen is the biggest one that stands out. And the, the specialists who deal with breast cancer, the breast cancer surgeons and the breast cancer oncologists, the, the um, breast cancer radiologists, the recommendations of the USPSTF were completely at odds with, with them. And because of the clout of this women's group and you know you do anything that has that smacks of being sexist then that creates a a major um a major controversy and so most of those recommendations were overturned not so for prostate cancer and so this group which was composed of pediatricians and all 
other specialists or primary care doctors that know nothing about treating prostate cancer, never saw a prostate cancer patient in their lives. They wouldn't know what prostate cancer is if you threw it in their face. They were making recommendations that that were impactful on what would happen to men who needed prostate cancer screening. After Obamacare, this group, the U.S. Preventative Services Task Force, became one of the 158 agencies or 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 um, uh, bureaus or or divisions that were in Obamacare, and and so now this group had the clout of uh, of the uh, of the law behind them and the recommendations that they made had direct implications whether or not Medicaid I'm sorry Medicare the the elder the the program for health care for the elderly Medicare would cover the cost of screening so the uh, the 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 benchmark for whether or not a treatment or a recommendation would would be able to continue to receive federal funding was that it had to achieve a grade of B or greater. If it was lower than that, it would not be covered. And prostate cancer screening got the got a D recommendation. So what happened? People stopped screening because it would not get paid. And worse than that, it created a mentality that there should be no screening because the government is saying, a very important body in the government is saying, well, you know what, maybe we really don't need to screen anymore. Maybe it's just not that that important to do that. And so that's what happened. Many people stopped screening. And I'm going to finish this thought when we get back in the second segment in the doctor's lounge. So please stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Welcome 
Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. Today we're talking about some uh, topics that are timely in the news today. Uh, prostate cancer screening, the opioid crisis, the health care reform uh, uh, bill that uh, seems to have stalled. When we uh, broke for uh, commercial, we were talking about the recent, uh, uh, well, we were talking about the United States Preventative Services Task Force and what uh, their recommendations meant for men who needed prostate cancer screening. And it was really a disservice because it sent the wrong message. They were telling people by changing their recommendations and saying that there were there was no role for screening that really wasn't important and that's and that and the reasons for this are very are very uh uh difficult to to um break apart but for simplicity's sake let's just say that there this there was a there was a big economic factor involved because many men were receiving treatment for prostate cancer that might not necessarily have needed to be treated but the the screening identified many men many men who did need to be treated who might not have ordinarily have been um, detected had they not undergone screening. And so it's really a decision that's up to the doctor and up to the patient to decide if this is meaningful or not. But the government stepped in and they decided to um, be the nanny in this case and tell the the system what they thought was the best thing. Sadly, the um, this got the American Urologic Association tied up in knots trying to figure out how they could reconcile this and and co- come to some agreement with what happened at the government level and and quite honestly i think that that was a huge mistake for the american urologic association to uh to back away and and take that position um instead of standing up some people did stand up. There was there's a group, the Large Urology Group Practice Association, or LUGPA, which represents probably uh, over a hundred of the largest private practice urology groups in the country. They stood up against those recommendations. Um, then, um, a congressman um, uh, Tom Price, Doctor Tom Price, um, he he also t- um, spoke out against the uh the the recommendations of the USPSTF um he wrote a letter to Kathleen Sibelius he got uh, other doctors in the uh, doctors caucus to sign on saying that um that the the uh he he criticized the the recommendations saying that the the uh task forces um recommendation was uh, going to result in an increase in prostate cancer deaths because of the uh, lack of screening. And he was widely criticized. There was one one doctor, in my opinion, a total clown, uh, by the name of Kenneth Lynn, who is who purports himself to be a a an expert on on evidence based medicine. He is a family doctor, probably doesn't even know the first thing about treating prostate cancer, and yet uh, ridiculed 
um, Dr. Price for his position saying how how uneducated he is to have made that statement saying that you know he, criticizing him for not understanding evidence-based medicine and and I I really took exception when when uh, he wrote about that and and uh, in fact he he wrote about that uh, uh, not long ago so fast forward to last week and what happened the US preventative services task force changed their recommendation from a D grade to a C grade for prostate cancer screening and added certain groups that should be screened, men who are um, between the ages of 55 and 69, who have a family history of prostate cancer, who are African American, or who have other hereditary malignancies. And these recommendations were never made in the first draft. That was criticized by the urologic community, by the LUGPA group. But most importantly, these recommendations were made. Why? Because there has recently been studies that have shown that there has been an increase in newly diagnosed advanced prostate cancer. That means prostate cancer that has spread at the time that it's been diagnosed. The the cancers that have been detected are more aggressive. They have more aggressive biology. So they could have been treated successfully before they spread had they been detected earlier. Once they spread beyond the prostate, they cannot be cured. And that I put squarely on the shoulders of the federal government and of the uh, task force. And now they're backtracking, and everyone who said that they overstepped is is vindicated because they have. And I'm going to circle back to this in a few minutes because I want to touch on another issue that's in the news on a regular basis, and that's the opioid crisis. You cannot put on the TV today and not hear a story about the opioid crisis that's epidemic around the country. You know, people who are um, middle class, upper class, lower class, it really has no class distinction, no race distinction. We're seeing um, uh, emergency medical services being mobilized to take care of overdoses in places that you wouldn't think in middle America. Um, states are being overrun by this addiction crisis. And when they can't get their hands on prescription medication, what are they doing? They're going to heroin, which is flooding the country through our porous borders. And um, it's more available now and cheaper than ever. And uh, it's uh, this is this is really a problem. So. You know, I, I don't. I'm going to devote an entire show. I'm working on this right now to the opioid crisis. Two of my dearest friends, 
from medical school who I'm still friends with are experts in this field. One is a pain medicine specialist, and one is a psychiatrist who deals with addiction medicine. And I'm going to get them both to come on the show, and we're going to do a forum um, on on this subject um, not not far in the future from now. But why why did this happen? Why are we facing this opioid crisis? And I maintain that this was a a crisis that could have been averted. And I've shown how the government was complicit in the prostate cancer problem where they stepped in where they shouldn't have, made recommendations that were inappropriate. There was a uh, an increase in more aggressive prostate cancer and so they've had to walk back recommendations that they initially made that they shouldn't have made in the first place. The same can be said for the opioid crisis. Pain has been elevated to the fifth vital sign. You've got blood pressure, you've got pulse, you've got respirations, you've got weight, and you've got pain. How do how does that happen? Because when you go to the hospital and you're checking in, they ask if you have any pains, and you've got these smiley faces with, where you've got a big smile on one end and a frown on the other with tears coming down, and you've got to circle your level of pain, and that is that is something that that some some genius decided needed to be part of the evaluation process of patients. To make this, to compound this, this problem, there was, there was a, several articles in JAMA that were published that discussed the safety of opioids and the low risk of addiction. So coupled with the fact that we don't want to see people having pain and the opioids were safe, what happened? The pharmaceutical companies went crazy. They they made the production of OxyContin and other pain medications a priority, and they just flooded the market with them. And people were were had easy access to these medications. You had a hernia operation, got you got thirty thirty uh, OxyContin. You might need you might have needed five. You got thirty. So. You know, you're hurting a couple, a year later from something else. You start popping Oxycontins because they're in your medicine cabinet. This is, this is a, 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 this is a preventable situation. But wait, it gets worse. The reason why the, I say the government manufactured this is because they, there are now metrics that doctors are being measured by that are based on patient satisfaction. And so doctors are being paid based on whether or not their patients are satisfied. If you've got a patient who has pain and they are not getting pain medication from you, how do you think they're going to rate you? They're going to think that you're a crappy doctor and they're going to say that you get an F. And if your metrics reflect badly then the amount of money that you're going to be able to get through programs that are administered by the federal government, either directly to doctors or through the, through hospitals that they work through, is going to reflect 
the grade that your patients gave you. So this is a perfect storm. Doctors want to keep patients happy. They pass out the pain medication so that they don't get um, disincentivized or dinged by the third-party payers who are basing the payments on these satisfaction metrics. And pain has become you know, a part of our, our culture to try to, to um, keep people from having. It's, it's ridiculous. Everybody has pain. And, and to say that we're going to make this a pain-free society is, is, the, uh, you know, is reminiscent of, of everything else that's wrong in, uh, in what's, what uh, is happening right now in society and healthcare and medicine and pain is just a, a small part of this bigger picture. And so uh, government meddling, I think, prostate cancer in the opioid crisis is part of the problem. They needed to stay out of this and let doctors take care of patients. And when we get back in the next segment, I'm going to try to decipher some of the stuff that's happening in uh, healthcare reform and politics today. Stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Did you miss a show that you really wanted to hear? All of our programs are available for download on AmericasWebRadio.com and on iTunes. You can listen to your favorite programs on AmericasWebRadio.com anytime you like. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back into the Doctor's Lounge. I'm your host, Dr. Hal Schurz. Our show is brought to you by the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. We're the only healthcare think tank in the country run by actively practicing physicians. Please go to our website and support the work that we're doing so that we can continue to bring you the Docs, uh, the uh, Doctor's Lounge and the programs that the Docs for Patient Care Foundation uh, is uh, working on. We're working on some pretty cool stuff. We've got um, an upcoming meeting this October in, um, in Orlando, Florida. Um, the exact date I will get to you um, on an upcoming show. You know what? I'm going to go into my, into my trusty uh, 
uh, calendar right now and get you and get you the uh, the exact date of the of the show. Uh, I'm sorry of the uh, of the meeting. Um, in the meantime, what I'd like you to do is um, I'd like you to follow me on Twitter at Dr. Hal Atlanta. Um, that's at Dr. Hal Atlanta, and uh, um, send follow me. You can uh, send me ideas for things that you want to hear about. Also, follow the Docs for Patient Care Foundation at D4PCFDN. Um, that's at D4PCFDN, and uh, follow the work of uh, the Docs for Patient Care Foundation. Our... Um, our meeting, uh, the we're putting on a direct primary care meeting in Orlando um, on October twelfth uh, and thirteenth. Um, it is uh, going to be a tremendous meeting for those of you who are interested in direct primary care. We put on a meeting last October, which was absolutely a grand slam. Our uh, Videos are on our website, so you can check it out and see exactly uh, what you need to do if you're interested in opening up a direct primary care practice or you need tips how to enhance your direct primary care practice. There's never been a conference like the one that we did before, but we're hoping to replicate it and uh, actually surpass what we did in Dallas last October. So mark your calendars. Um, look, follow, follow the uh, the um, uh, information that's on our website, and uh, and and make plans to attend this. If uh, if you uh, are a direct primary care doctor, a internist, a family doctor, or a pre- or a pediatrician, um, and uh, uh, we uh, would love to have you there and and participate. We it's space is limited to three hundred people, so. Uh, be watch watch closely for when we put this out there because it will it will fill up fast. The last conference was a sellout. We also uh, have uh, some other upcoming conferences and 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 uh, and um, work that we're we're uh, putting together on state based solutions for healthcare reform. So. Uh, Stay uh, on our website. Make that a, a regular uh, stop on your on your uh, um, search engine so that you can uh, keep abreast of what we're talking about um, and uh, do it on a regular basis. So, healthcare reform is not dead; it is just sleeping. And um, I think that we are going to see some movement. You're. I love watching the news every day and seeing uh, the the uh, anchors uh, spin healthcare reform in in a uh, way that makes it look like uh, the people in Congress and the people in the White House are are absolutely incompetent and buffoons, and they're really not. This is this is incredibly hard to uh, do. It's it's virtually impossible to unwind an entitlement you give something to somebody and then say you're going to take it away that is that is uh you know uh never been done before in american history and it's really hard to do it now but nonetheless that's what has to happen if we want to get rid of obamacare but people don't want to give up their 
uh, the, the free stuff that they think that they're getting, even though they don't realize that they're paying for the free stuff. And so, so that's, that's the trick. It's to re-educate people about what it is that healthcare really means and, and what they're paying for directly or indirectly and try to re-educate them and reorient them. You know, the White House strategy, um, the latest White House strategy that that the news is spinning is that President Trump is going to uh, take away the subsidies for the insurance companies um, from uh, to uh, to basically uh, get Democrats to come to the to the uh, negotiating table. And um, let me let me decipher this for you because I think that this is you know the stuff that people just don't understand. So when the um, Obamacare package was put together, all the special interests sat around the table: the hospitals, the pharmaceutical companies, the insurance companies. The insurance companies got a sweet deal out of this. They were able to get. A, um, a, a money that 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 they were never getting prior to Obamacare. Yes, they had to participate in the health care exchanges, and yes, that would be a lost leader for them because they would be they would be getting um, a fraction of what the actual cost of the health care is through the premiums that were being paid by the patients and the subsidies that the government was giving to the patients to pay for their insurance. But the insurance companies managed to negotiate other under-the-table payments. These are the subsidies that President Trump is threatening to stop. So, these are not the payments, the subsidies, the subsidized insurance premiums that the government is giving to patients. These are the under-the-table slush fund monies that the insurance companies negotiated with the government so that they would participate in this giant scheme. What happened was some people in Congress got wind of this, and they said, wait a second, What's going on? We're paying the insurance companies extra money to participate in this? Marco Rubio was one of the ones who got wind of this, and they tried to pass legislation to stop it. And that didn't go anywhere, so what they did was they went to federal appeal, uh, federal court. And the federal court ruled in the favor of the people in Congress who said that they needed to stop these payments. Well, President Obama said, uh-uh, we got to continue these payments. we got to continue these payments. And so they appealed. When something is on appeal, the law continues as is, even if it is seemingly illegal. And that's what happened. So those payments continued to to the insurance companies through two separate pools. One came from the Department of Health and Human Services, and another one came from the Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services, CMS. So, fast forward, 
And here we are, 2016, 2017, new president. Appeal is still pending. And President Trump has a decision to make. He can withdraw the appeal of the executive branch. If the appeal is withdrawn, then the ruling of the federal court, which said that those payments are illegal, will stop. If those payments stop, then the insurance companies are going to even, they're going to be even in a worse position participating on the insurance exchanges. So the money that they're getting right now through the premiums, the subsidized premiums, would be far, far inadequate for them to continue. And those few plans that continue to participate in Obamacare exchanges will just simply pull out when they lose that slush fund. And that's and that's what this argument is all about. So President Trump believes that if he threatens to withdraw the appeal and the court ruling stands and the payments to the insurance companies stop, Obamacare gets starved, there are no insurers anymore on the exchanges, and it implodes. So he believes that the Democrats don't want that to happen, and he can get the Democrats to the table to work with him by simply this one maneuver. And he may not be wrong, but they're playing a game of chicken now, because the Democrats don't think that he'll do it, because... It does not have support from the GOP leadership in the House. They're saying we need to leave everything in place, not starve the insurance companies, not withdraw that slush fund until we've got something in place to protect people so that they're not hurt. Because if that happens, then there are about uh, about five to to eight million people who are getting insurance through the Obamacare exchanges who would see their premiums go up about thirty to forty percent. These are people who are business people who are who have um, uh, you know that they're. they're they're small businesses. They don't have access to large insurance pools. They buy their insurance as individuals. Um, you know, they may be you know uh, single single proprietor businesses. You know, you're a, a a liquor store, a grocery store on the corner. You know, some small business, and and so this is going to hurt those people. And so I get it. And so this game of chicken that's going on is. Um, is is uh, the latest strategy coming out of the White House? And quite honestly, you know, it's it's really hard to know who is going to blink first. But but I think that uh, this is this is one tactic that's being used right now. 
there was a very interesting article that was in the Invest- Investor's Business Daily, which is um, the guide to repealing Obamacare is hidden in plain sight that I wanted to uh, um, go to um, in just a, uh, a, a few minutes when we come back from the break and try to complete the circle of what's going on in Washington right now and where we're at. So please stay with us. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's www.docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. And we're in the last segment of our show today in the Doctor's Lounge, and we've been uh, talking about a number of topics. We're closing out on a recap of the latest in healthcare reform, which is not dead. It's just hibernating, and they're doing lots of back-channel talks and and uh, and uh, negotiating to try to get this issue uh, to the finish line. Um, I told uh, you about the White House strategy uh, just a couple of minutes ago. There are other things that are going on in the um, in in Congress to try to get the. Uh, the um, ideologues in the Freedom Caucus to uh, come uh, to to the center a little bit and see the light um, and understand what happened. You know what 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 happened for those of you who um, are not following this as closely as people like like me. The um, the bill in the in the House never got to the floor because it stalled due to a number of uh, blunders. One was that it was poorly messaged. Nobody knew what the ultimate goal of, of uh, the bill was going to be because leadership failed in their job to promote what the, uh, what, what the overall plan was. They did not share the vision, and that was a big problem. The second was inadequate collaboration with uh, factions in in the caucus, the GOP caucus, that felt slighted. Now, whether or not that's real or perceived is not for us to say because we really don't know. We only know what we hear. 
but there are people in the Freedom Caucus and in the more moderate group, which is called the Tuesday group, that that had issues. And you have to be a little bit sensitive to these people because they have to go back home to their constituencies um, and face the music when they get home. Nonetheless, if the vision was out there first, then it would have been an easier sell to to uh, get that first bill passed. But in a vacuum where nobody knew anything, on the surface, it looked like it was a a crappy bill. It had just bad stuff in it. The last problem was that it was rushed through, and there was a reason why that happened. It was because they um, they're, they're, this is all you know boring stuff, but but it, it's procedural, and suffice it to say that they could not get a repeal bill passed through the Senate because the Democrats would have filibustered it. They couldn't do for this what they did for the Supreme Court Justice. Neil Gorsuch, but what they can only get through things in a Senate that is not going to have bipartisanship only if it's a bill that has to do with money, fiscal stuff, and that can be done through a process called reconciliation. That means that if you got a bill that affects the budget directly, then you don't have to have um, a, all, all bills in the Senate get voted on with majority, but but if you don't have, you can you can get the minority party to filibuster, which means that they can just talk and talk and talk and keep a a bill from getting voted on. But if you get sixty votes, they could stop that incessant talking and say, okay, the talking's over, we're voting on the bill. They couldn't do that with with this health care bill. They couldn't do it with any health care bill. So what they have to do is they have to pass a bill through a separate process, which has to do with budgetary. It means they can't have stuff in there that says we repeal every word of Obamacare. What they have to do is they have to carefully take out parts that have to do with the budget and get those things passed. And that's what this bill was designed to do. And so the reason why they rushed it through, and they just didn't tell anybody this, is because the the budget period ends at the end of April. You can only use this process called reconciliation once every budget cycle. They, tr- they wanted to use it twice in this calendar year. They wanted to use it before the end of April for health care, and then again sometime after April, but before the end of the year for tax. And that's why they rushed this through so quickly. Well, now they're screwed because they they are only going to be able to use reconciliation once, and that's for the twenty. 20- 18 budget, not for the 2017 budget. And so they missed they missed the window because they didn't do this right. All right. So that's that's the why. That's where we're at what what has happened. So so they're now working on a reform plan 
that's going to satisfy these ideologues. So what they want to do is get rid of two things in this bill that that they opposed. One of them were the essential benefits. The insurance companies have to offer certain essential benefits. Otherwise, they can't write a policy. That drives up the cost for everybody. That drives up the cost for somebody like me, who is over 60, who doesn't need maternity benefits, does not need, (coughs) um, hopefully, uh, drug counseling. You know, these are the things that, that I'm paying for that have to be offered. Instead of me buying my insurance the way that I want to buy it in a customized way. So if I didn't have to pay for all of that stuff, my insurance would be less. And that's what they want to see. That's what the Freedom Caucus wants to see. They also want to see a uh, – there's, there's something called um, – Obamacare makes people – makes insurance companies offer insurance to everybody who wants it. That's called guaranteed issue. And then they will not allow insurance companies to charge people more if they're sick. They have to do it on other uh, on other metrics like age or smoking history. That's called community rating. And so what the the uh, Freedom Caucus wanted was to um, get rid of the um, the uh, guaranteed issue. They did not want the uh, they felt that guaranteed issue was driving up the cost of insurance, um, and so uh, they wanted to uh, to see that. To, I'm sorry, uh, commu- they wanted to get rid of community rating. I stand corrected, and they they didn't want their t- they didn't want insurance companies to not be able to charge people who were really sick. So, in other words, their objection was that community rating, not being able to charge people who were sicker, was making the individual insurance market more expensive for young people. And that's that's true, it is. What's happened is that the, the uh, insurance companies could only charge a differ- differential of three to one means an older patient could be charged three times as much as a younger patient. Well, the insurance companies did not lower the cost of the health care for the older patients to reflect three times the cost of a healthy young patient. No. Instead, they raised the cost of the insurance on the healthy young patients, and it destroyed the individual health market for young people. And they tried to to you know walk that back by allowing people to keep their kids 26 and under on their health insurance but what if you don't have a parent who has a health plan that you can keep them on or what if you don't have a parent um, then then they can't get cheap affordable insurance they're they're paying through the nose so they just opt out entirely and so that's what the freedom caucus wanted and um, and that's not going to happen. They're not going to get that from a bill. So what do they want? 
they want a compromise. And the compromise would be to allow states to opt out of those two issues if they choose to apply for waivers and decide for themselves whether or not they wanted to get rid of the essential health benefits and get rid of the community rating. And that compromise is looking like it might actually work. Let me let me conclude by by sharing with you an article quickly that was in Investors Business Daily that talked about this issue about guaranteed issue and community rating. So the the thing is that these these issues happened actually before Obamacare. It was tried in 10 states. They adopted Obamacare style market regulations and with guaranteed issue meaning that they they could not turn down anyone for health care reasons and with community rating which banned insurers from charging the sick more than the healthy so what happened well in new hampshire they adopted these protections in 1994 and by 2000 only two insurance companies were writing individual policies in New Hampshire. And by 2001, only 3% of the state's non-elderly population were enrolled in individual health plans, down from almost 8% before the reforms kicked in. So the state repealed the guaranteed issue, and they repealed the community rating regulations altogether in 2002. And instead, they created a high-risk pool to help people with serious health problems obtain affordable coverage. So what happened? Eight years later, 8.5% of the population were buying insurance on the individual market, which was more than it was before these went into effect. Kentucky did the same thing. They had this, they um, um, imposed those those um, guaranteed issue and community rating regulations in 1994. And at that time, 40 insurers were writing insurance policies in the individual market. Four years later, only one insurance company was left. Other states did it too. Iowa, South Dakota, Washington, Maine, they all did this. And they all found that when they had those regulations, just like in Obamacare, insurance companies fled the market. When they got rid of them, the insurance companies came back They helped the people who had the expensive problems that these laws were supposed to help protect. They enacted high-risk pools that saved the individual market and protected the people with, with expensive medical problems. So there is a way out of this. But it is, it's going to uh, be a compromised solution. So that's the latest on, on what's happening with healthcare reform. We're reaching the end of the show. Um, I hope that uh, I didn't confuse anybody more and instead cleared up some issues and, and uh, gave you something to think about regarding uh, government meddling in prostate cancer and the opioid crisis and how that has created problems when they stuck their nose in where it didn't belong. So please uh, uh, stay with us. Uh, come back to us next week. My host, co-host, Dr. Mike Karuchik, will be uh, at the mic. Thanks for being with us, and uh, be well. 
join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docs4patientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you.